Hi, and welcome to Fussifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. I'm, I've got uh, a couple of motives for choosing this text today. Uh, was part of my personal devotions not long ago, um, but it, there's some questions that I've always had about that. So as well as realising that there's something beneficial that we need to hear, there's another motive I have, and it was to dig a little bit deeper into this passage. And I'm sure you'll be familiar of it if we turn to Luke 7, 18 to 23, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. It was a list of all the miracles that Jesus had worked. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So uh, a text this morning is one of those passages that I've felt like I have sort of haven't got it yet, and I've sort of missed it, and felt a little bit confused and not very convinced that I've really got my head around what's ha- happening and being said here. So... That's my motivation for taking a closer look. So I invite you to come in and have a little bit of a closer look, primarily to see not just what's going on there, but what's it saying to us this morning? Because everything there is for us, right? First, we need to know that John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison because he's been upset in the hierarchy. He's actually had a go at the king because the king was, uh, has taken his brother's wife and all this other stuff that's going on. So John the Baptist has called him out. And that's why he's in prison. Uh, it's, it obviously isn't high security prison because his, his disciples are in there all the time. They've been coming in telling me all what Jesus is doing and obviously even this time they've come in and told him and he said, well, go and ask him a question, and obviously they've taken... So it's not, it's not a high-security prison, but if you're a person who's been, for nearly all his life, free and wandering in the desert, a confined space that you're not allowed to leave is probably pretty intense for John the Baptist. Uh, especially, I don't think that John the Baptist is the kind of guy who likes being told what to do. That's the Australian side of him, I think. Uh, but the deal is, I don't think John's sitting there saying, well, this isn't too bad. It's not high security. I, I get the guys ministering to me and giving me information. No, no, I think it's the opposite. I think he sat there and he's doing it tough. Like, you know, because he goes wherever he wants to go. He's out in the wilderness all the time, moves wherever he feels led to loose, speaks whatever he feels, and now all of a sudden that's been kept from him. So John the Baptist in prison. Um, 
And, and uh, I, it's, I don't think it's comfortable. For one who spent his whole life wandering through the desert, four walls, I don't think were very comfortable for him. Um, perhaps we need to keep that in consideration to why he's asking the questions as well. So in Luke 7.19, John does ask the question and we need to look a little bit closer at it. And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? That was the question. And it sounds like, okay, John's starting to doubt. And that's part of my problem. John's starting to doubt? I mean, John, hard as nails John, is starting to doubt because of the pressure that's on him in the jail. It's just, it's sort of not making sense to me. Um, Especially when you remember that his whole life has been about this moment. Everything about his life is preparing the way of the Lord. In, in fact, you remember what the angel said to his father. And I'm going to read it to you just to reinforce this. Luke 1, 13 to 17. But the angel said to him, to his father, Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of God, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Then he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, capital H, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heads of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to be made ready uh, a people prepared for the Lord. So, so that's what the angel said to John's father and no doubt John's father has, that has influenced the way they raised him and they probably reminded many times of that story. Also remember John 1, 29 to 34, where it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he who, whom I said, After me comes the man who is prefer, preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but, he, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. My whole life's been about this. My whole ministry's been about this. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So, so that's John, right? So we've got the report from John's father, the account from John's father, but then we've got John himself telling us, you know, that's why part of the, my struggle in believing that, why is John now starting to doubt? It, it's very difficult for me to think that this man, the little I know about him anyway, how hard he was, how strong he was, how straightforward he was, how blunt he was, um, that this man now under some pressure 
in prison and, and serious pressure for his life. You know, he's the threat of his life is, is a real one. But, but this man is now starting to doubt. And, and that's been the source of some confusion for me. Until I started to, as I do, reread and then pull out the phrases and the words that are key. And so uh, I'm looking at John's question again, but I'm looking at that phrase, the coming one. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Because the first reading, yeah, I get that. He's, he's told someone's coming after him and so he calls him the coming one. But when you start to study that phrase, it's not John the Baptist's phrase. Israel would refer to this one and it was a reference to Moses, as promise in Deuteronomy 18.15 where, where Moses said to the people of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So that phrase, the coming one, refers to the promise they got from Moses. So for, for those um, God-fearing Jews especially the religious people and, and the scholars, the Pharisees, um, when that phrase, the coming one, was used, they automatically thought about the promise of Moses. And, and so I'm thinking, wait a minute, is this the area where I'm sort of getting my confusion from about John fearing? Um, so perhaps John's question is based on a little bit seeking a bit of clarity Maybe there's a bit of confusion there. Maybe it's not about he's doubting Jesus himself. Maybe he's just wondering, um, is this the problem, the prophet like Moses that was promised us, the coming one? Is he him? Or, or is there two identities? Is it him and the Messiah and the Christ, the Messiah? And I, I think that's what John's really wanting to know here. And of course, we know he was both. We realize Jesus was both, the promised one, the, the prophet that was coming, the prophet, and, and the Messiah. We call him the Christ. And so we know that now. So let's go a step further now. Let's look at Jesus' response to that question. Luke 7, 22 to 23. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. Let the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so Jesus answers the question the way he always does. You have to, when Jesus answers your question, he doesn't give you a direct answer, you have to think about it. He usually answers a question with a question, but this time he's... But it's some, still something you have to think about. And so he's literally saying to John, well, think about this, John. I'm doing all this, and I'm doing this. And he's literally saying to John, yes, John, I am the one, the promised one that's coming, the one who's coming, but I also am the Christ, the Messiah. And so he's, he's giving John his answer there. And, uh, but the bit that was through me was, was verse 23. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
and, and this is the bit I think we really need to get a hold of. This is the bit that speaks to us right now. And, and you could be tempted to think, oh, Jesus can never offend me. But you think that's true or not? Um, the word blessed here is blessed, possessing the favor of God. And this is a direct quote from my dictionary. That state of being marked by fullness from God, it indicates the state uh, of the believer in Christ. So if you're a believer, you are blessed. And that's the word that's used here. But it's interesting it uses that phrase, being marked by the fullness of God. You're marked by the fullness of God. Okay, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The word offended, the best English translation they tell me, is the word scandalized. Probably you've you heard that before. The, the, best, the best English word is, is scandalized. And it actually means a stumbling block or cause to stumble, right? Uh, some manuscripts write it this way. Blessed is he, blessed is he who is not, brought, uh, is not brought into an offense or doubt. The Passion translates it this way. Luke 7, uh, 23 from the Passion. And tell John these words. The blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me, no matter what happens. That, that, uh, the origin of that word offended comes from a word that was used in the, in the design of bird traps, right? Have you ever heard this before? I have never heard this before, and I got a bit excited about this. Uh, it's so simple. Um, it's actually the bait stick or the trigger of the trap. So the word offended, scandalized. Scandalized, the, the word for scandal, the origin of the word scandalized is literally the name of the trigger of the trap. So there's something that triggers the trap and then you're caught. And we know it relates to doubting Jesus or be offended by Jesus. Okay. In, in Romans 11, 9 and 10, it uses exactly the same words. In Romans 11, 9 and 10, it says this, And David says, let, the ta let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. There's a trigger that sets you in that trap, that puts you in that place, that restricts you. It's exactly the same word. And, and this is what it says to us. In the day of our text, the day our text refers to, there were many offended by Jesus, weren't they? So many people were offended by Jesus. All the religious folks were offended by Jesus. But eventually, even the average guy, the normal people on the street, was offended by Jesus. That's, that's why he, he, he lost the multitudes, went down to the 70, went down to the 12, went down to probably just one. And at the end, it was his mother and a few women around the cross. 
because they were all in one way or another offended by Jesus. They, they triggered a trap that put them in the place of doubt. In, in one, uh, sorry, in Romans 9.33, and here's the thing about it. Offense is actually one of the titles that were given to Jesus. He's the rock of offense, right? So it's not something he did by accident. It's actually his name. It was the title that describes what he's going to do. And so in in Romans 9.33, we read this, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. That's Jesus. goes on to say, Whoever believes on him, he will not be put to shame. 1 Peter 2, 7, 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. So many were offended. And many today are offended. And, and if you think this through, the offence comes because of wrong expectations. Back then it was the misinterpretation of the law and the prophets. They thought they understood the law and the prophets and when Jesus turned up fulfilling the law and the prophets, they didn't match to them because their interpretation was foreign. It was nothing like what Jesus was saying or doing. So they were offended at him because their their expectation was let down savagely. Later on, it was more than just the law and the prophets. You know, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the feeding. They flocked to him like that but when he stopped doing that for them they stopped coming because they were offended at him from for the majority of people back then uh, it was their misunderstanding or misinterpretation law prophets and the messiah's role in the politics of the day they are expecting he's the messiah Okay, he's doing all the stuff. He's like wowing the crowds. Next thing he's going to do is sort out Rome and put Israel back on the top. Of course, it was completely two different issues. Jesus wasn't building a kingdom in this world. He was bringing a kingdom of heaven to this world. But they couldn't see that and didn't understand that. So when he didn't go on and start to attack Rome or sort Rome out or pull them down and establish Israel again as the leading government, they all got offended at him. And the things I've described are pretty much exactly what happens today. Our misunderstanding, our misinterpretation of the gospel. We, we get offended at him. Um... We think the way the gospel's been presented, it's all about us. And we think it's the Lord's role to make the whole world around us fall into line for our benefit. And when it doesn't, we get offended. 
when, when he doesn't make the world around us fall in place for us, for our benefit, and, and we start to question, we've, we've pulled the trigger that, that sets off the trap, and we start to doubt or question or get offended. Can you see that? Because unfortunately, you know, uh, the way the gospel is presented sometimes, we do think it's about us. It, it does make us the center of the world. And we think God's role is to making sure everything goes right for us. He puts the, West, the rest of the world around us in order for our benefit. And you know that the opposite is, you, you want to be great? He says, become a servant of all. Someone takes from you, give them some more. You know, forgive. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other, just turn the other cheek. Forgive. Be gracious. All these stories are about, you're not, you're not here, the world's not here for you, you're here for the rest of the world. And, and my great fear is that we, we trigger the trap because of our misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the gospel. C- can I just go on a little bit of a track here? Something that, I heard the other week and I'm thinking about, but it fits in perfectly here. And, and I need to get my words right. A misinterpretation of the gospel. And, and, and there's a balance to this, I know. But we think... Sin isn't a big deal anymore. We don't preach about sin in the church. It's not a grace covers it. It's not a big deal anymore. It's not a something we think about much because of grace, you know. But I'll tell you what, it is a big deal. It's such a big deal that God sacrificed his son to deal with it. That's the huge deal. It's actually the biggest deal of all deals. Uh, not only is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he's the deal of deals. But we think, well, that's okay. And, and, and then we flow from that understanding that we're thinking, well, sin isn't a problem anymore. God forgives everybody. We love everybody. And we'll just get on with it. We don't think it's a big deal. Where what we should be doing is realize how big a deal is. Well, forgiveness isn't the problem. It's not sinning that's the problem. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to sound legalistic. I'm just saying our attitude towards sin, if we start to fall in the trap of it's not a big deal, it changes everything. Because then I don't become very careful about the way I live my life. Because sin isn't a big deal. And this doesn't matter, and that's not important because it's not a big deal. And therefore, my public wish, my personal witness to everybody around me is affected, and it's not a big deal. And then the people around me see me and they say, Well, what's the difference between you and me? Absolutely nothing. It's not a big deal. Not only that, it has these other side effects. Missing churches, <laughs> not a big deal, it's not that important. Not being involved in, in, in the things of the church. Yeah, not a big deal. It's not that important. 
You know where I'm going. Okay, a fulfillment to the Great Commission going to all the world. It's not a big deal. Can, can you see that? And it might be subconscious, but it, it filters right through everything. Because initially we've accepted this unbalanced gospel message where we think sin is not a big deal. Now we need to get it right. We think it's not a big deal because forgiveness of our sins is free. But it wasn't free for God. It cost him. He literally sacrificed, brutally, savagely allowed his son to be sacrificed to deal with our sin. It is a big deal. But if we think it's not a big deal, we'll start to act like it's not a big deal. We won't be concerned about sin. And I'm not talking about forgiveness because we are completely forgiven and we shouldn't let sin, guilt, shame hold us down. I know that. But then we don't try hard when we're tempted by sin. It's not the same resistance to sin. It's not the same awareness. We, we just slip into it so much easier because it's not a big deal. And then your witness goes because it's not a big deal. Your involvement in being part of the body goes because it's not a big deal. I can do forget the will of God because what I need is important. I'm just it's because the other stuff. It's not a big deal. Can you hear where I'm going with this? Well, it all starts, and I think we've seen it so sadly in the demise of the church and the influence of the church in the world because the world looks as now say we're irrelevant. And really, there's no difference except some of you got some really weird ideas. And isn't it wonderful the world, the way the world and Hollywood promotes the really weird stuff? Like if you see a Christian now in the movie, he's usually like an extreme out there weirdo, having like six wives and controlling everybody and doing sacrifices. That's the only attention we get. And we probably deserve it because that's what we've been presenting. Because it's not a big deal. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that the, you need to work to get and pay penance for the remission of your sins. No, Jesus accomplished that. But the realisation at the price that was paid and, and how important it is and how it is a big deal and, and that we should do our best to resist. Now we're all fallen, we're all got this bias towards sin. None of us are perfect and won't be until we stood face to face with him. But there's got to be this abhorrence. You've got to be this distaste where you get to a point where you resist. You don't, we, we lose our witness. We lose our involvement in the Great Commission. The very thing we're here, whether you like to hear it or not, the local church is God's answer to every problem in this community. And we need to come together and start to address some of those problems. And we can only address some of them by coming together. Um, am I making sense here? Can you see now, okay, we've, we've looked at John and I've wrestled about John, about, okay... Wait a minute, why? John, after everything he's been through, seen, done, said, I know he's in a dark place, but for him to start doubting, but was he really doubting? Or was it was a misunderstanding or misinterpretation of who Jesus and the expectations 
of what Jesus would do. I don't know. It doesn't show us, and I'm not sure. I'm just surmising. But perhaps, you know, because John had a reputation of dealing with authorities, whether it was the religious authorities or the, you know, the king, the local government, he would call them out publicly and tell them to change. He would say, stop that, don't do it anymore, change. So maybe John had expected that Jesus would take that a bit further. Maybe John had some political ambitions in his understanding or interpretation of who the Christ, the Messiah was. And maybe he didn't see that. Anyway, I started there trying to get my head around that, but I realized, no, no. This is for us today. This is the challenge and the message for us today. I can say to John about John, I can say, perhaps, probably, could have been. But I know for a fact, when we think about us, most definitely. That I was... I was talking to, I've got plenty of friends, right, in the ministry. I know I like to act like a loner sometimes and talk like one. Uh, I'm basically at conference, I'm Jane's husband. It, it was really fascinating. I, I went to the counter to ask some questions about tickets for next year. And I went up and I, I was starting to ask this, what I thought was a young girl volunteer, about, about the availability of tickets for this conference next year and the national conference tickets. And she just looked at me and she went like, oh, have you lost Jane? Are you looking for Jane? I'm going, yeah, confirmed it. I'm Jane's husband at conference. I said, actually, no, I'm not. And I got a little bit sarcastic. But anyway, turns out she was a lovely girl, very helpful. Uh, and she thought she was like helping me. And she, somehow she'd heard that I've got a little bit of a sarcastic twist, so she was giving it to me before I got in. It was really funny at the end. But anyway, uh, what was I saying? Uh, so I get to talk to people from all different kinds of churches. Um, some of my friends, pastor really big churches, are doing amazing things around the world. When I was a young pastor, a young minister, and I'll say this because I'm not being recorded, I never knew, I never personally knew a pastor till I became one. You know what I mean? There was pastors in my church, but I only ever saw them or met them in church events where they were doing the pastor stuff. And subconsciously I had this thing, pastors are amazing. They all know their Bible. They're all living it. They're praying. They're so holy and righteous. And it wasn't till that I actually get to know some pastors that I realize they're just the same as everybody else. And some of the people that I used to like be really impressed with when I got to know them, I'm going, yeah, well, right, okay. And I won't go into too many details. It was just a great level and a great eye-opener for me. So I hear and I talk to stuff and I hear some stuff and I get asked my opinion and stuff, which all surprises me. Like these guys talk to me, what do you think about that? And, I, and someone said, it's because, Dennis, you just answered the question straight. You, you just, you don't think about who you're talking to, you just tell them. Anyway, so I know, 
because I hear about what's going on in different places and you see stuff from other churches and I, I was doing some research a couple of months ago and I got on YouTube and I was listening to some sermons and I was horrified. I was shocked. I was listening to some guys taking up the, taking up the offering sermon. I'm going, oh my goodness. I was cringing. It was horrible. And, and, and then, so I, I'm saying all that to say, listen, I, I know with John the Baptist, I say maybe, perhaps. But when it comes to this scripture applying to us, absolutely, most assuredly, definitely, no doubt about it, it applies to us. The misinterpretation of the Gospels is, get, is, is triggering a trap and, and where we might not use the word offend, offended, but there are so many people who are getting offended and will be offending, offended by Jesus the way it talked about here in Luke because of the misinterpretation of the Gospels. And it's our job, it's my job, our commitment to make sure we present a, a, a true, ethical, well-balanced presentation of the reality of the gospel. Sin is a big deal. There's opportunity for forgiveness and deliverance and, and even to break the power, the consequences of that and turn it around and give back with stolen. I believe all my heart with the, all of that. But if we start to think that sin isn't a big deal, we'll allow anything and justify it. And it won't be a big deal and it won't convict us or challenge us or cause us to resist it or we'll just whatever. I don't have a big audience. But we together, we can make a difference. Our witness, the way we live in our community is the greatest witness. And, and while people might not say, you know, they're looking. I, I regularly get tested all the time. And I know they're testing me. I don't try to, I'm not false, I'm just who I am, I be myself. But I, I have some things I believe that I always make sure I try to present. We can make a difference. But before, we've got to make sure that we don't. And it sounds crazy speaking to you guys like this, but it's probably not the right words. But we've got to make sure we don't get offended by Jesus. We've got to make sure that our expectations of the gospel, of our Christ, our Saviour, Messiah, are clear and accurate. It's not his job to put the world in order for our benefit. He's anointing us to go out into the world with influence for his benefit, for their benefit and his benefit. I think I've said enough. Do you think I've said enough this morning? I see some polite smiles. I see some, hmm, probably... So shall we pray right now? Is that all right? Father, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you that no matter what we page we open to or read, uh, no matter whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, Lord, 
There is something that's there specifically for us if we look. Thank you that we've looked this morning and we've started to see some stuff. I pray now for each and every one of us that, Lord, we won't be offended because we will work on not having a misinterpretation of the gospel. Rather, we will see clearly what the gospel is really about and will understand the role of our Messiah, our Christ, and will slip into his ways. Not try to get him to slip into our ways. So for each and everybody here right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us not be condemned, not feel guilty or embarrassed, ashamed about sin, but rather understand the power of your blood that sets us free and pays the price for our sin. But Lord, that sin that that is a big deal will become abhorrent to us and that we will resist it for the sake of our witness and the sake of our presentation of your gospel. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, come and help us right now. In between that, ensuring no condemnation, no guilt or shame, but at the same time understanding this is serious and I need to do and try that a little bit harder. Either spending more time with you or seeking your face or getting your word into us. That, that we can become whole and resist and stand firm in you. I pray your blessings and your protection, your provision on us and our loved ones right now. I pray that your favour will go be upon us and make a way for us right now. And more than that, we continue to ask that we all, as individuals and as a church, will grow in the knowledge of our God. I ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said... Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.